Well, I have my lovely wife with me. Loretta's here, over here. I'm so blessed to have her with me tonight. And, uh, and it's not just tonight. I'm actually going to be with you for an entire week. So we're going to start off tonight. I'll be with you Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then again next Wednesday night. So uh, I enjoy being able to be here for a little bit of time. It gives me the ability to kind of build a little bit of a, uh, of a topic or a theme with you. Uh, and, uh, and it gives me time to, uh, to get to know you a little bit better as well. So we're glad Pastor Mike is away. He deserves his rest and his, and his, and his break. And I, I'm enjoying being able to be in California, not only with you guys and here in the, in the body, but also uh, my wife is from California. She's from uh, north of the Bay Area. And so when we come back here, we get to see some of our family as well. So that's always a blessing. So it's a, it's a double, uh, double, triple uh, blessing for us to, to be here. So turn with me, if you would, uh, tonight in the Word. We're going to take a couple of weeks, uh, so I'm not going to conclude the message tonight. I'm going to carry it over into to next week. Um, but we're going to start off, and we're going to talk tonight about uh, identity crisis. Uh, there is an identity crisis in the world. Uh, people are very confused about identity. How I many you know what I'm talking about? That people are not sure about uh, identity anymore. We're confused many times about who we are, what we are, where we belong. Uh, and, uh, but there's one place that should know who they are, and that's in the body of Messiah. We should know where we're at. We should know who we are. We should know what we've been called into and how to walk out the things that God has planned for each and every one of us. Can I get an amen in the house tonight? We should know those things. And for a long time, we've been taught... Uh, about our identity, who, who we are in Christ. Uh, maybe some of you have, have heard entire series on the in Him realities or who we are in Christ. Uh, and some of those things would be like we are the righteous in Christ. Are you righteous tonight? And you know that that righteousness is not contained within yourself, but it's in Jesus. And because He's in you, then you become righteous. So we have been taught and taught very well how to identify as being righteous in the Lord. And when you identify with that, what you have to do is you have to try to not look at yourself so much and look at Him and see righteousness in Him because the moment the devil gets you to look at yourself, then you begin to see all your flaws or your frailties and you begin to see more unrighteousness than righteousness. So we become more Christ-centered in that, uh, in that way. And the same thing is true with healing. We begin to identify ourselves as being the healed in the Lord. And as we're the healed in the Lord, what we do is we don't pay attention to any illness in our body. Amen? So even though we're, we're, so we're identifying with we are the healed. And so we, we're grabbing identity on the things that God has given us. So He's made us righteous. He's made us healthy. He's made us prosperous. So we don't identify so much with what's in our bank book as much as we do with the riches of, of Christ Jesus in, in heavenly places. Right? So we, we identify as God has ordained that we should identify in Him. And anytime the Spirit of God begins to do something in the Spirit, if we're not careful, what happens is the devil grabs a hold of it and starts perverting it in the natural. And he, because he is a spirit being, obviously there's a spiritual element uh, to that. But years ago, we can see how, how God would start to bring things, to introduce things back into the body. And as He would do that, the enemy would grab them and begin to push them well beyond where they were supposed to be. Uh, let me just go back a few years and grab a hold back when God began to really bring and restore just a, a, a woman's place in the body of Messiah. Just her place and her giftings and her callings and really lift her and position her. And when, we, when that began to happen, we began to see wonderful things happen such as uh, Golda Meir rose up in Israel as the leader of the nation of Israel, the first female leader of a nation like that and began to... And began to to leave. But then the enemy grabs a hold of it. And the next thing you know, uh, we're, we're burning our bras in the street and we are, are having hate men clubs. And we are, you know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, what, what the Lord was trying to do in, in bring this revelation of the importance of women, the enemy, enemy grabs a hold of it and begins to pervert those things and move them into an unhealthy, an unhealthy place. And the same thing is true when it comes to this identity that God is restoring to the body of Messiah today. What happens is, the enemy grabs a hold of it now and he begins to bring it over into the world and mix it among people who don't understand these things. And now, instead of them figuring out exactly who they are in the Lord, now they're trying to figure out who they are in themselves. And when you try to figure out who you are in yourselves, how I many of you get confused? And now we don't know whether we're boys or girls anymore. 
or whether we are a boy one day and a girl the next day, or we have even come over to the place now to where now we have something called identity politics, to where no longer it's about the actual policy of this or that. Now it has to do, it has to do with identity in politics or identity in gender, things that were very pretty much common sense and basic biology at one point now are now all arbitrary because we've allowed now this this secular revelation of identity of who we are now to begin to override the natural things, which is exactly what God wants us to do in this in, on, on the, in His way, and that is let what He has done in uh, in us in our in who we are in Christ override our natural way. So there's a there's a there's a there's a conflict in the world, and that conflict is between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And if there is something that we need to do to take into this world, that is to be a, a certain 100% who God has made us to be, what our identity is, and how to appropriate, appropriate those things in the earth, walk them out, and bring some balance to this world. Can I get an amen from you tonight? Because this world left unchecked is going to continue to get worse and worse and worse and worse. So we need to make sure that we can come into this place where we are lining ourselves up with the Word. We find ourselves in a place of unity. We get in unity with God's Word. And in that unity, in that place of unity, we find our stability. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, this verse we know very, very well. And uh, we're going to read this here just for uh, kind of a launching off place. The Scripture says in Ephesians chapter number 4, we're going to read verses 13, I'm sorry, 11 through 13. And the scripture tells us this, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some pastors and teachers, I'm sorry, let me read it again, apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, to the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, under the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God has given, as we know, gifts in the body to bring us to a place of unity. That unity is only going to be found in God's Word. God has released these gifts into the body to bring us into a place of unity. Again, that unity, of course, will be found in the Word of God. And, of course, Jesus is the Word. When we find ourselves grounded in the Word, everything begins to work right and work correctly. However, how many knows that we have very little unity in the body of Christ? Thank you for your enthusiasm. That's, uh, I mean, I mean, on, quite honestly, th- this is this is one of the great things that weighs heavily on my heart, is the fact that we that we have been given these instruments in the body to bring us to a place of unity, so we're not till- children anymore, tossed to and fro, that we grow into this perfect man. Yet at the same time, we have thousands strike that tens of thousands of denominations in the world. As a matter of fact. Back in 2011, we had 38,000 different Christian denominations. 2011. This is 2017. Today, we have 41,000 Christian denominations. Not 4,100, not 410, 41,000. Think about that. And the vast majority of these Christian denominations are not created because we found unity they're created because we have disunity. This church didn't like what that person did, so they went and they started a new church. That's not unity. That is disunity, disharmony. So these, we're, we're creating, there's more division now than there ever has been. Really, if you watch the denominational creation line, basically everything is pretty much flat up until after the Reformation, and then it begins to really climb to where now we're at 41,000 different Christian denominations. There must be, somehow be a way where we're able to bring ourselves into a place where there is some type of cohesive way of working together. And listen, if the Lord has desired there to be unity in the body, and He did say that that was going to happen, then one day all these denominations are going to roll back on themselves. We're coming back to one faith. He said He's given us these gifts to bring us into the unity of the faith. But unfortunately... Because of this dynamic, we relate more as being a Baptist and being a Catholic and being a Presbyterian and being a Pentecostal and being a Charismatic and being Episcopalian and being a Church of Christ and being a Church of God and being a Church of God in Christ and being more so than we do 
with being a Christian. Our identification more is now in the group we belong to as in the, into the, the Messiah we've been placed into. So there has to be something that begins to move us to this place of unity. You know, as, as, a, as a pastor and I work with different uh, congregations in our city and we try, we try to find things that we can agree on and bring us together. And we go to these wonderful things that maybe you've heard of before. They're called ecumenical meetings. And basically what an ecumenical meeting is, is a meeting of nothing. Okay? We all get together and everybody puts down whatever conviction they have. And everybody just, it really is it's a horrible, sad thing. And I figured that, you know, maybe, 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 just maybe we could come, come and rally up with one thing as, as believers, as, as people who could really stand for something. And so I thought, you know what, let, let's, let's take the whole Word of God and let's bring it down to, to a good base element here. And let's just talk about something that we could all agree on, and that is the Ten Commandments. And ladies and gentlemen, do you know that we can't agree on the Ten Commandments? And I thought, are you kidding me? I mean, think about this for a moment. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Who can't agree on the Ten Commandments? I mean, number one, there's only one God. How about that? Can we all agree on that? Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you just think about this for a minute, if all we did, let's forget everything else we've ever learned. If all we did was keep the Ten Commandments, do you know we changed the world? How about this? No more murder all of a sudden guess what you don't have to be fearful of walking down the street at night it changed the way just keeping 10 simple things no more stealing guess what no more stealing no more murder you probably are not going to have to lock your cars or lock your homes anymore how about that how about children honoring their parents Guess what? No more rebellion and no more running away and no more calling mom and dad names and following instructions and doing what God and what mom and dad say. Your houses are transformed. All we're doing is doing 10. Maybe the one who wrote them knew what he was talking about. You know, the Ten Commandments are interesting and they're unique in this sense. I mean, obviously we believe all the Bible is inspired by God. But there's something very unique about the Ten Commandments, and that is this, that it's the only thing in the Scripture that God Himself wrote with His own hand. You know, everything else He inspired men to write, but this one thing, he, he, His hand came out of heaven, and with His own finger, He wrote these ten things. So certainly, surely, we can agree on these things. Because after all, it is the Word of God, a place to begin to find unity in those things. And I found very quickly that we couldn't even agree on those things. How about just agreeing on Jesus? No, we couldn't agree on Jesus. Because to some people, Jesus was, 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 was a, a man anointed by God. Others, He was actually the Son of God. Others, He was God incarnate. To some people, He was Chinese. To some people, He was African American. Have you ever seen that before? You can go online and find pictures of Jesus that he's actually a Chinese Jesus or an Indian Jesus or an African-American Jesus or a Northern European Jesus. What are we trying to do? We're trying to identify. Everybody's trying to take possession of Jesus and make him into their image when I distinctly remember somewhere the Bible saying we're supposed to be conformed into his. But we're really quickly trying to make him into our own. Why? Because we want to identify with something, but not something that is concrete in Scripture, but something that is actually in our flesh. And the Bible does tell us this. It says, man judges after the outward appearance. Flesh looks at things from the outside. And that's where we've been caught up. So back to the Ten Commandments. I was working, hoping that we could come together in agreement. But instead, what I have is I have fellow pastors of mine talking to me saying, do you really believe these are good things? These are fellow pastors. Do you really believe there's freedom in the Ten Commandments? I said, uh, yeah. I think it's kind of freeing only having one God. It's kind of freeing, you know, knowing that I can be faithful to my wife. It's kind of freeing. He said, oh, okay, well, I, I get it. I get it. So what we did was we actually got together and we, along with, we had, we, a law was passed through the Arkansas House and Arkansas Senate, signed by our governor, that we could put 
a, a monument of the Ten Commandments on our state capitol grounds. So we did that. We created this, this monument. Some of you may have even read about this in the, uh, in the news. Because Little Rock, Arkansas made international and American news. And there's a picture of this little pastor from Arkansas named Scott Stewart on the front page of that newspaper as I'm up there inspecting it. But we had to actually do all this undercover. We had, they called, I get this telephone, my telephone rings some random night and it's a covert telephone call from one of the senators saying, okay, it's in route. It's in route. It will be set on the grounds at 7 o'clock in the morning before anyone gets in their offices. So we had to actually, we had to build it in another state, warehouse it in a different state, ship it in by night, put a foundation down a month ahead of time, and then get away from the foundation so nobody would actually figure out what's going on, and then have it set before anybody could get there on the morning of. And we set the Ten Commandments in place. And right after we set the Ten Commandments in place, about 7.30, 7.40, then all of a sudden then that's when all the press showed up and everybody was doing their thing. And we were so excited. But, of course, it was only me. Me. I was there. <laughs> With the senator, we were the two of us, and there was nobody else to be seen because no one else knew it was happening because it was secret. Because we are America. We are a nation who's supposed to be built on these things, yet we have to covertly sneak things in. And we can't even get our other pastors in town or other people to actually agree and support. Instead, they're actually saying things that are in opposition to it. So we were all very excited, and then I get a telephone call at 6 o'clock the following morning from the senator, and he said, uh, about 5 o'clock this morning, it was destroyed. man drove two and a half hours away, drove his car up the embankment of the state capitol grounds, filming, him, filming himself, you can see it on Facebook, filming himself, he launches up, up the hill, hits, the, hits, the, hits a 6,000 slab of granite, and, of course, runs into it, falls on his car, crushes his car, also, it destroys the commandments. And um, whenever this happened, Mike Huckabee sent a tweet out, and he said, well, the first Ten Commandments was built. Moses went and broke those, didn't he? <laughs> then he went back up and got a second, a second copy. So we've already ordered the second monument that's going to be going up in the state of Arkansas. It's going it's to happen. But, you know, at, at some point, we have to find a rallying cry. Now, if we, can't rally around the, if we can't rally around the Ten Commandments, we can't rally around the Holy Ghost, because some people think the Holy Ghost is, woo-hoo, nuts, freak, freaks over here, do the Holy Ghost. So we can't rally around the Holy Ghost. We can't rally around uh, the Scriptures. We can't rally around the deity of Jesus. We can't even rally around the ethnicity that Jesus was a Jew. All of a sudden, we find ourselves with 41,000 different denominations in the world because we cannot find a way to agree on something that everybody in this room and everybody that's a believer should be able to agree upon. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit who witnesses to us. We have the gifts in the body that are supposed to find a way to bring us into a place of unity. And now, I think more than any other time, it needs to be done. You know, and what happens is when we cannot have, when it's not happening in the church, guess what? It reflects itself in the world. What is happening in our nation today is merely a reflection of what's happening in the churches in America. Because we are the ones who set that spiritual barometer. And what we allow is allowed, and what we bind up is bound up. It seems to me we need to take authority and take charge of what God has given us custodianship over. Otherwise, it just continues to flow out into, into the world. I believe that one of the reasons why not only was the Ten Commandments ours destroyed, but one state after the next has had them removed from their state capitol grounds. As a matter of fact, before when we were building this monument, I was showing my congregation pictures of one state capitol and one government building after the next all around our country where they were ripping the Ten Commandments up and hauling them away because they were so offensive. Um, and, um, and so I told them, I said, the reason why that's happening in our, in our capital or our capitals around the country is because it's happening in the pulpits. 
You see, when our pulpits begin to tell us how the Ten Commandments are old and passe and no good, rip them off your walls, have nothing to do with them, no wonder it begins to happen in the world. No wonder it begins to have natural implications. One of the reasons why, with, with, with so many divisions, within the, with, even within the body of Messiah itself, there's a reason why things are happening in the world. We have to wake up and realize and smell the manna here that what's happening in the world is because of what we're allowing to happen within the church. So what do we do? We have to bring ourselves into a place where we can find some place of unity, where we find ourselves submitted back unto the Word of God, getting the identity that God has for us. And that identity cannot be whether you are a, a Baptist or a Presbyterian or Episcopalian or a Catholic. It is, in fact, and of course, I don't think anybody here is in that category, uh, but at the end of the day, we all have to, all of us have to come to a place where we are in complete and understand agreement of who God has made us to be. And who has He made us to be? Who are we? Who are we meant to be? Are we just a random group of people meeting off somewhere in a building that call ourselves Christians? Or are we a part of something much bigger than that? Is this a big picture here? Whenever we, whenever we started our, our, our church in Scotland and we got our staff together and... Um, we got our staff, and I gave each one of our staff members a, pic, a, a piece of a, a puzzle, a puzzle piece. And, uh, and they got, I got them all together in the room, and I told them, I said, okay, put the puzzle together. And so they had to just kind of walk around and try to see if they could fit their puzzle pieces together. And they were not having much, much uh, success with this. And then finally somebody asked the bright question, and that is, hey, can we see what? The pick, let me, yeah, can I see the, can we see the, the actual top of the box? Why? Because if you, all you're doing is walk around with a small piece, you're going to have difficulties. You need to see the big picture. When you can see the big picture, then you're able very easily to go to certain things and to work with them. But sometimes when we only look at what our small part is, we have a difficulty in understanding what the big picture actually is. So tonight, I like to try to start painting a big picture. Because if we can see a bigger picture than our small part, what happens is we say, ah, we fit here. We fit here. We belong here. And as we, as we see a bigger picture, we should be able to understand that what God has planned for us is much bigger than what we maybe have thought that it was. So unity of the faith. So you want to keep that particular phrase in mind. Let's go to John's Gospel, please. John chapter 17. Before I get into painting a larger picture, I want to I read this one verse here because uh, this kind of goes along with what I've been talking about. John 17, verse 20 and through 23. Jesus is praying here and he says, he says, Neither pray I for these alone. He's referring to all of his, uh, his, his Jewish followers, his, his, his disciples and all the multitudes that are with him. But I also pray for those that will believe on me through their word. And that's us. That they may be one. Can everybody say one? They may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one in us. That the world may what? Believe. Let them be, he says, let them be one, Father, like you and me and I in you. This is not some paralleling stream of, oh, we're just... You know, we're, we're brothers here, but we don't really blend together. No, this is an intimate oneness. And Jesus says the end result of that unity, the Hebrew word here is echad, for the word one. It is a, it is a one in plurality. It's a, it's, a, it's a compound unity. And when that happens, what happens, the Bible says here, the world believes. That's big. The world, so the world may, so the world may know. It goes on to say this. Father, you and me, and I and you, that the world, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one. Even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that it may be that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me, and has loved me, and has loved them. The end goal of this unity factor here is that the world knows that Jesus is Lord. 
If you're the enemy and you know you, you're there, you hear this, and you know, hey, one thing that's really going to really mess up my plan is when this group of people actually figure out how to love each other and get along, then what I should do is stop that. How about me make that person not like his shirt and he can start a church called the, the, the Church of the Checkered Shirt. And this person over here can start a church called the Church of the Unlatched Sandal and whatever, whatever. I mean, hey, it sounds weird, but you know what? People make up strange names uh, for churches. There was this one church. Forget it. Okay. Uh, it was, there was this radio show. Like a, there was this radio show whenever I was, Ron and I were dating, and I used to listen to it every night on my way home from work. And the radio show was called, this is the, this is the title of the show. It was, Come Now, Let Us Reason Together, Sayeth the Lord Broadcast. Okay. That was the name of the show. That's a long title to a show. And, and this one guy, he had a phrase. He said, in this phrase, you should listen to that show all the time. He said, he said, God will pull you through if you can stand the pull. And I, all right. And obviously that didn't work very well here in California, but that's all right. But it's true. But he's saying here, listen, this, when these people figure this thing out, then, then the world believes. That's a big deal. We have a lot of efforts in the church world. Let's help that group. Let's reach out to that group. Let's do that over here. Let's do that over there. Let's try to minister life into this area of our city. Let's try this. What are we trying to do? We're trying to reach our community. And very little effort is put on this one thing that Jesus said, Hey, guys, if you just do this here, it's done. That's a pretty big deal. If my ministry's goal is to reach the world, then there should be a certain amount of effort put on doing this one little thing here. I say little. This one thing here that Jesus said, hey, when this happens, then the world believes. And what is that? He's talking about a oneness that's going to be brought about, a oneness that it should, should actually be a, an overflowing or an outflowing of something that God has planned. And we're going to see a little bit more about this, actually, if we keep on uh, reading there, which we're not going to do right this moment, we'll probably read this, this next week as I'm going to be coming up on my break here in a moment. And that is, Jesus says this. He said, there's going to be one fold and one shepherd. One fold and one shepherd. God is preparing a church, preparing a people, preparing a bride, however you want to, to look at it, for his return. And that bride is going to have a very distinct look to her. She's going to have an identity. And she, again, she's not going to be a denominational identity, a religious affiliation identity. Think about this. Even the Apostle Paul, remember this? He's going to go, he's going to go into one of these places and they're going, to, they're going to baptize. And he gets there and he says, he says, who's been baptizing here? And one of the people says, well, I'm, I'm, of, I'm of Kephas. And somebody says, I'm, I'm of Apollos. They raise their hands naming off the people who baptize them and actually creating cliques or denominations around those who baptize them. And the Apostle Paul said this. He said, he said, I am glad I didn't baptize any of you. He said, is Christ divided? Even then, just by creating an association apart from remembering it's all about Jesus, what happens is it started creating a division within the body at that day. And Paul rebukes that and deals with it. It's not, I'm not talking about a unity that where, where unity is conformity, where everybody is the same. My wife and I are definitely not the same. And I, for one, am very glad for that she's very different. See, I, we are completely opposite of each other, as a matter of fact. However, we are a family. And we are, we are, we are we're both stewards. We weren't, we weren't always that way. She's still a part of her family. But, but she was born, as I said, in Northern California. She's a California girl. I'm a boy from Arkansas. And it works. Let me tell you. That right there is enough to cause World War III. But it doesn't. It works. It works. See, because we're a family. And, and when we became a family, although we're very different, we're still a part of that one family. And our family has a unique way it looks now. Loretta was raised... Loretta was... Uh, raised Italian. Her family is, uh, her, her maiden name was Jacuzzi. They invented the world, her grandfather and his brothers invented the Whirlpool Spa and, and they had a, a very unique family tradition. And then she married into my family, which are the Stewarts, which were 
the royal family of Scotland. You know what I'm saying? It's true. It's true. It is true. The King James Bible is James Stewart, by the way, just in case you... It is true, just in case you didn't know that. So, at any rate, so we, we, we bring this unique Scottish and this, this, uh, this Italian blend, and we, and we create our own family. But, but she brings what she has, and I bring what I had, and together we create a beautiful whole, although we're not... It's not a conformity-type family, but we have, we have a uniqueness about us now, that we are one family. And that is a thing, the same thing is happening with us in the, in the body of Messiah. We are all one family bringing different characteristics, different ways of, of acting possibly, different, different ways of doing things, but we're still one. Not that we're looking alike and dressing alike. Don't you, don't, isn't that always strange how that when you, when you go to certain churches, how people start looking like the pastor and his wife? You know what I mean? No? You don't? No? Okay, that's good. That's good. I've been in churches where all of a sudden the lady's hair all looks like the, the pastor's wife's hair. And, and the, uh, you know what I'm talking about? So, yeah. So, we, we, we're, we're kind of creatures of habit in that way. We like, to, we like to kind of go along that way. But God, you see, the thing about Loretta and I is we're different, and our differences actually make us stronger. You see, our differences can be our strengths, or our differences can destroy us. And we see many times what we do when we come to church, you have to look a certain way and dress a certain way and say a certain way and talk a certain way. And if you don't comply to this, if you don't conform to this, then you really don't fit in our group. Now, if you're, if you're in violation of Scripture, then that's a different story altogether. But we're not trying to talk about that. We're just trying to bring ourselves together as one beautiful whole that God has ordained that we, that we walk into. Okay, go with me if you would, please. Let's go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. I want, to say, I want to begin to bring us into this place of, of, of finding identity. As I said, we've been taught that we are the righteous, that we are the healed, that we are the blessed, that we are the prosperous. We are all these, these things in Jesus. And I want us to look at one that we maybe haven't quite seen before. Maybe we've heard before, but we haven't quite really spent a lot of time talking about it. But here in Romans chapter 2, verse number 28 and 29, it says this. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, nor the circumcision which is outward in the flesh, that is to say, I'm sorry, uh, in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, the circumcision of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. The Apostle Paul is dealing with a group of people that are very eclectic. They are Italians and they're Scots and they're, well, he didn't go to the Scots, but I mean, he, he did go to the Italians. But Paul goes to all these different people groups who come in with very different ways of doing things. And he says, okay, I need to make sure that you guys understand who you are. Yes, we are the blessed and the prosperous and the healed and all these other things, but we're something bigger than that. We're, we're a part of something much larger than that. And that is, I want you to understand that you've been brought into a family. And just like Loretta and I, we met. And, and when, 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 when our identity was going to merge, she, her name changed. She became a steward. Something changed with her. And all of us together, when we are brought into this family of God, something changes about us. And we become a part of a people to whom covenants and promises and all these blessings were given to. And Paul is talking to a Gentile group of people called the Romans, and he's trying to get them to understand, hey, you're a part of something really radical in your thinking. He says, listen, you really now have been made Jewish. Excuse me for a second. I see this. You've seen this before, haven't you? Wow. Amen, Pastor Scott. Praise the Lord. That's amazing. That guy's really good. I want to write that down. Now, I want you to pay attention here because the Apostle Paul is, is trying to... Now, when he says here, he says, whose praise is of God is not of men. Now, you can't really see this in the, in the English, but the word Judah means praise. So he's playing off of these words. When we, most of us see ourselves as Gentiles. We are Gentiles. We, we're Gentile believers in God. However... When we think of the word Gentile, we think of the word Gentile as today. But when the word was Gentile was used, it meant pagan. How many pagans do we have in the room this morning, or this, tonight? Okay. How many Gentiles do we have here? Most of you say, okay, you just said you were a pagan. That's, that's what you did. 
So we have, so we have, to, make, we have to make sure that we understand the Bible in the way the Bible was written. When you take the Bible and try to take it out of its context, out of its culture, out of its, out of its linguistic time frame, and bring it down and we reinterpret words, we get into big problems. The Bible has to be allowed, allowed to say what it was meant to say. So Paul is trying to say, listen, you're no longer pagans. You're part of something different now. Your identity has changed. Let me ask you a question. Now, within, within Judaism today, you're not only a Jewish person if your mother's Jewish. Okay? So if your father's Jewish, it's irrelevant. This is, this is, this is, the, this is the, a rabbinic law. It doesn't, it's not biblical, but this is what they say. So if your mother is, is Jewish, then, then you're Jewish. But if your father's Jewish, then you're not. But biblically, your parents had to be Jewish, right? But how many know that Abraham's parents weren't Jewish? See, something happened to Abraham. Something moved Abraham from where he was at to where he was one who praised God. The word to praise God is the word uh, Yehuda, and the word Yehuda is where we get our, which means Judah is where we get our word Yehud, which is where our, our word Jew comes from. So the word Jew means one who praises God. How many people here in this room praise God? You just said you were Jews. But see, in our mind, we put them in a denomination over here in this group without understanding that we're... This is really a big picture. I'm trying to stretch your mind. I have two Wednesdays to do this, so don't freak out on me here, okay? Just trying to get you ready for this because, because God... The, the Apostle Paul is dealing with people from all... He's dealing with, he's dealing with Galatians and, and Ephesians. He's dealing with Philippians. He's dealing with lots of people groups who have their own national identities and who all want to have their own picture of Jesus, one Chinese, one Indian, one African American, and one Northern European. They want to have all their own picture of Jesus. He said, no, 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 you can't do that. As a matter of fact, you've all been brought into something that God has always planned. As a matter of fact, we can see some scriptures we won't look tonight, but God has always planned to have this great merger take place. So the Apostle Paul is dealing with these Romans. He said, okay, you guys need to see yourselves a little bit differently. And if you'll let yourself see yourselves differently, you'll, your identification will allow you to hold as opposed to splintering. Now, we're going to look at a couple other verses here before we, before we close up tonight. So that was to the Romans. We'll do a little bit more of this, a little bit more of this uh, next week as we go. That was with the Romans. Let's go, let's go now to the, the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Now, if you're, if you're wondering, I just, want to, I, just want to, I just want to go ahead and say this. If you're wondering, uh, Corinth was not a suburb of Jerusalem, okay? All right? So Corinth is, Corinth is not in Jerusalem. These are not Jewish people he's writing to. These are thoroughly a quote-unquote Gentile congregation. Will, will you keep using that word here for, for clarification's sake? Look what he says here, verse 1 and 2. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that you were Gentiles. Do you see that? He's writing to Corinthians. He said, listen, okay, guys. You were Gentiles, and when you were Gentiles, you were taken away by all these dumb idols. You were pagans. So if you were Gentiles, then guess what? You ain't anymore. If you were it, you ain't it now. Because something's changed. Your identity has shifted from what you were to what you are. And if you identify with a different people group in a different place of, of, of merger, then the appropriation to the blessings of God begins to change. Go, let's go to, to chapter 10. Let's go back a couple of chapters in verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll look at verse 1 through 4. It gets even a little bit more uh, emphatic here. Look what he says here. He says in verse number 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. Now I want you to notice here, first of all, that in the last verse we read, and in this one, it starts off by saying, Don't be ignorant. There's actually seven times in the Bible that it says, don't be ignorant. And I did a whole series on this at our church uh, called, called I-7. The seven times you're not supposed to be ignorant. If the Holy Ghost is saying, hey, wake up. I'm writing 66 books. I'm telling you seven times, especially, don't be ignorant of this. Then maybe we should put an exclamation point behind that and not be ignorant of that, right? Look what he says. Hi, Scott. Look what he says. I don't want you to be ignorant of what? How all our fathers were in the cloud and all passed through the sea. Before we keep reading and stop and ask yourself the question, how many Corinthians were out there? None. What is he doing? He's saying, okay, Corinthians, 
former pagans, Gentiles. Listen, all of our fathers were in the desert. You see, your history now changes. Your history now is a different history. But I'm a Corinthian and I wear a toga and I like to drink wine. and Well, okay, whatever. You have a history. But when you, when you, when you, when you move over here and when you grab a hold, when you change, all of a sudden something happens in your heart and you have a heart circumcision, something happens to you and now your history is different. Why? Because you are a different people. He says, all of our fathers. Hi, Scott. Let's go back to the verse of Scripture. Once again, he says, how all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Next verse. And they're all baptized in Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Next verse, please. And they all did eat the same spiritual meat. Last verse. And they all drank the same spiritual drink and they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. He's saying, listen, this is one big story. Jesus has always been around. He's always been there. And also it says, it said, and the rock followed them. Would that not be, let's take a little pause for a moment. Would that not have been weird? Can you imagine you're walking along as one of the children of Israel and you hear something go rumble. You look over and you go, I thought I saw that rock 37 days ago. <laughs> That's the same rock. You, you walk in for another four or five weeks, and all of a sudden you hear something rumble. You look over and you go, this, is, this rock followed them. Okay, that's just me thinking out loud, okay? But the rock followed them. And I just wonder what it was like if you saw something. You know how sometimes you think you see something out of the corner of your eye and you look over there? Well, this thing, people were seeing something out of the corner of their eye, and it was a rock that was following them. That's just, okay, whatever. You're not getting it. That was just, that's just me. I just think that's really weird. Funny. I don't want to say weird. It's funny to me. But he says, listen, Corinthians, all our pappies, all our daddies, all our fathers, our grandfathers were there. And they're probably thinking to themselves, what are you talking about? My grandfather, my father, my great-great-grandfather, my father as far back as I can remember, grew up here right in the middle of downtown Corinth and did X, Y, and Z. And he's trying to, by revelation, he wants them to grab a hold of a new identity. You know, when, when, you're, when, you, when you get a revelation on something, it changes you, doesn't it? There was a day when, when you got revelation that Jesus was the Messiah. And when that happened, something changed in you. And you did something. You prayed a prayer. You accepted His Lordship into your life. And things were different from that moment forward. The day you got revelation that the Holy Spirit was meant for you. You received the Holy Spirit in your life and all of a sudden your prayer language changed and something was different about you. And the day that you got a revelation that you were supposed to give and tithe, that caused you, that revelation caused you to do something natural with your money. You started giving and tithing, living in the abundance of it. When you got the revelation that you were righteous, that righteous revelation changed the way you prayed and how you acted and how you did warfare. Revelation changes you. And that's what he, the Apostle Paul is trying to get over to the, these different, quote-unquote, Gentile congregations. Hey, you're not Gentiles anymore. And Jesus came to bring you into this new family, to give you a new identity, to change who you are. Time Magazine in 2008. Every year, no, I'm sorry, not, it's not Time, it's Newsweek. Newsweek Magazine, I was living in Scotland at the time, 2008. Every year... They have one issue, and this issue comes out every year, and it lists the things, the top ten things that will change the world. And in 2008, I was looking at the magazine. I don't really subscribe to the magazine, but I, but I had gotten the magazine, and, and there were the top ten things. And some of the top ones had to do with some, um, uh, some scientific breakthroughs. Others had to do with some climate policy. Others had to do with some, some physical policy that had been put in place around the world. But number 10 on the list was the thing that caught my attention. Now, we all know that, that Newsweek is a spirit-filled organization, right? We all know that. They have, they, have, they have people sitting behind their computers praying the Holy Ghost before they write anything. We know these people are in tune. they got scriptures all over their newsroom. We know that. But number 10 on the list, they said this, this thing, 
Because each one of them started off saying, how will this thing change the world? And then it would talk about the different discoveries or whatever. And number 10, it said, this thing here will change the world in such a way, it said, this thing is actually more powerful than politics, more powerful than money. Number 10 on the list. Number 10 on the list was this, making Jesus a Jew again. Time Magazine understood if the church would allow Jesus to be who God had made him to be and put him back in his context and let the church rally around that, it would change the world. And the church still has Jesus being a Catholic. As a matter of fact, even within... Even within uh, Islam, they believe that our Trinity is the Father, the Son, and Mary. They think that she's within our Trinity there because it's such a part of what they, what they see. But think about this for a moment. Here we are, people who read the book. Newsweek people don't read the book. Here we are, people who pray in the Holy Ghost. Most of us, people over there, probably don't do that. But they could see something happening in the world. They could see there's something that the church, if it understood, would change the church. The Apostle Paul is saying this here. Hey, Corinthians, look it. This is not who you are anymore. You're somebody different now. We've learned that we are this in Christ and that in Christ and this and that and and so forth in Christ, which is all good teaching. We need that. But there's one element of who we are in Christ we have stayed far away from. Because it scares a lot of people. It freaks a lot of people out. Why? Because we've heard a lot of bad teaching about those things. All right. Last thing, we'll give you one more verse of Scripture, and then we're going to, we're going to uh, break for next week. Let's go to the book of Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll start reading... In verse number 11, 11, second, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. <clears throat> he says this to the Ephesians. He says, Wherefore remember that you being in time past, what? Somebody say it. Now, the Ephesians, Ephesus was not a suburb of Jerusalem or Galilee or Bethlehem or any, this is in Turkey. These are Turkish people. And he said, hey, you were at one time a Gentile. That you in times past, that's who you were. I don't, ever, I don't want anybody in this room to ever leave here again and say, I'm a Gentile believer in Jesus. Don't ever say that because that's not who you are. The Apostle Paul is being emphatic here that you were at one time, but you're not anymore. Your identity has changed. And when your identity changes, it causes a change in how you do things. When our identity changed, guess what? I stopped squeezing the toothpaste from the metal. <laughs> when our identity changed, I stopped leaving my socks on the floor. Well, I tried to stop leaving my socks on the floor. <laughs> identity causes a change of behavior. It causes a change of relationship. It causes a change in the way that you think about things. He says, hey, Ephesians, remember. He says, listen, remember. That's who you were. That's not who you are. I think if the church grabs their identity, then we'll be able to not only appropriate the promises better for us, which we'll talk about that a little bit more next week, but also we can use our authority in a different way and shut some of the devil's work down in this identity crisis that he's spreading around the country. He goes on to say this, Gentiles in the flesh, which are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh. Circumcision, uncircumcision would mean, of course, Gentiles and circumcision would be Jews. That at that time, what time? The time you were Gentiles. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. See, when you were a Gentile, you were a Star Trek freakazoid. You know what I'm saying? You were an alien. At that time, you were, at, at, when you were 
when you were a Gentile, that's when you were without Christ and you were a stranger from the commonwealth of Israel. But see, something's about to happen to you that's going to make you a part of the commonwealth of Israel. Who, who, who's, a part, who's a part of the commonwealth of Israel? There's a certain group of people that are a part of the commonwealth. And you are about to become a part of the commonwealth. And he's telling them, hey, listen, when you didn't have Messiah, you were, that's when you were the Gentile. But something happened. See, so you, were, you were outside the commonwealth. You were not one of the group. He goes on to say, and you were strangers from the covenants of promise. Those promises and covenants that you and I lay claim, a whole, claim to, there's a reason why you have the ability to claim them. There's a reason why we can grab a hold of them and appropriate them for our life. Something's happened to us that gives us the right to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. Next verse. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes afar off have been made nigh by the blood of Christ. See, something happened that made me a part of the commonwealth of Israel that took promises that were given to people of that commonwealth and allowed me to become a partaker of those particular promises. Something switched in my relationship to them and I was able to begin to partake of them. This is what he's trying to make the Ephesians understand. You at one, remember, this is how you used to be. This is how, not how you are anymore. And what's happened is we are going about trying to appropriate promises and appropriate the things that, are, that God has promised us. And we are doing that to some extent. But I believe there's a greater degree that we can appropriate them. And it all comes back to what I talked about revelation. When we get revelation, things happen. When we get that revelation of why we're appropriating these things to its fullest extent, then things begin to change and move in a greater degree, degree and dimension in our life. So we're going to figure out more about our identity and who God has made us, who he's made us to be, what we're a part of, and how that should change not only the way we see ourselves, but also the way we see the entire body of Messiah. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, that's it. My time is up tonight. You learned something tonight? Okay, good. Next week, we're going to continue this through, and I'll do my best to... Go through the scripture and put a nice bow on that for you next week. Sunday morning, we'll be here at what time? 930. At 9.30, we'll be here. Oh, and it's going to be good. I will not be late. I'll be prayed up, ready to go. You want to be believing God for a move of the Holy Ghost, for souls to be saved, for bodies to be healed, for the empty to be filled. Let's believe God that, 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 that people's lives are turned upside down on Sunday morning at 930. See you then. Be here. Don't be square. God bless.